incarnation, I'll tell you. Because if you mess with the incarnation, you're messing with the cross of Jesus Christ. If you mess with the the incarnation, you're missing out on on God who became man and and is closer to us than we can imagine. I want the kids, kids close to me here. Okay, I want you to picture this now. Here's a man named Saul, and Saul is uh, convinced of the truth. He's convinced of the fact that God is one God, and to call any man God is blasphemy. And so this man is out to put to death that sect called Christianity, or Christians, and he wants to get rid of them, and he believes he's got the truth. There are those today who have left the Christian church for Jehovah Witnesses, for Mormonism, on this very truth, on, the, on this very truth of the incarnation. They've messed with it, they've tampered with it, and they come up with some strange ideas about uh, Jesus, not true God and true man. We'll talk about that in, in a minute. So here this guy is, and he is... He is walking toward Damascus, and you remember what happened? He's walking toward Damascus, his name is Saul, and he's going to kill Christians. What happens to him? Yes? Uh, a blinding light from God comes down and blinds him. Okay, so he's blind. What else happens to him? He, what? Okay, okay, so somebody's talking to him. He's, he's been knocked to the ground and he can't see. It's okay to stand up and see. So somebody, somebody is messing with him and he's bigger than he is. And so here's my question. He, he wonders what's going on and so he asks a question. What does he ask, kids? Okay, anybody, what does he ask? Who? Who? Somebody's done this to him. Somebody stopped him in his track. Now, I, I want you to think of the, what the answer is. What did this person say to him? I want you to be specific. It's Acts 22. What did Jesus say? Finish it. It's not that's. There's more. No, no. Uh, that's true. But somebody find it. He has never. He, he never said this. As far as I can remember, he never identified himself this way before. Verse eight. I am Jesus of Nazareth. I am Jesus of Nazareth. He never said that. Why did he say that? To identify He's a man. This person that's speaking to him was and is a man. He's speaking from heaven. He could have said, I am the Lord of glory. I'm the creator of the universe. I am the one who inhabits eternity. I am the God of all gods. Very God of very God. 
I'm the one who created you. But he said, I am Jesus. Now, if you, if you guys pray, ever felt like you wanted to touch God? I did once. I, I, I felt so, I was on vacation. I'd been memorizing the book of Philippians just every day, been taking the word in. I went to bed at night. And somehow I felt if I reached up, it was so, I felt, I never felt that before or since. I felt if I could reach up, I, I could have touched him. I didn't do it. Because there was a, 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 a wonderful fear in the presence of God. I didn't do it. We can't touch God. We can't touch God. Because God is not flesh. The Bible says God is spirit. You can't touch spirit. There are spirits around here. There are good spirits. There are bad spirits. I don't know if there are more good or bad. I wonder if there are as many spirits. The Bible calls angels spirits. They're ministering spirits. You can't touch them. Sometimes they, we can see them because they, they take on human, human uh, character. But we normally can't see them. We can't touch them. We can't, we can't touch. Now, could you have touched that baby? Mm-hmm. You could have touched that baby, couldn't you? Would you be touching God? If you touch that baby Jesus, would you be touching God? Technically, any way you want to answer it. You guys can answer it. You are touching God. When you touch that seven-pound baby who is confining himself by limiting himself. Now, before he became a baby, what was he? God the Creator, the one who breathed 17 trillion stars, he spoke, Jesus spoke, he is the Creator, the Bible says, in Hebrews 10, it says, you laid the foundations of the earth. Everything belongs to you. So here he is, the creator, and incredibly, he becomes the part of his creation. You couldn't think of doing that anymore than you could think of us becoming a part of an anthill. It just, we can't conceive of it. So Paul couldn't conceive of it, Saul could not conceive of calling a person God, and now Jesus wants to be very clear, and he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. That's my address. If you were to write to Jesus, how would, what, would you, what address would you use now? What would you use? Dear God. And what, if, you, if, you were, if you mailed it, what would you say? God in heaven, I guess. I don't know if it would get there. I don't know what the postman would do. What if he's on earth? What if you lived at the time of Jesus? What would his address be? How would it get to him? What would you say? What would you put on the letter? Pardon? Nazareth. Okay, what else? Son of Mary. Okay. Carpenter shop. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. How'd it get there? They all knew Joseph. They all knew. So that was his address. So when he came, he had an address. And you can get in touch with him. 
You could, you could actually touch him. And when you touched him, you were touching God. Because he didn't become God. He was God. He was God in her womb. He limited himself. Imagine having access to the universe and you could be there in a second. Do you know how fast angels go from heaven to earth? I don't know. But I think it's really fast. I think it's about this fast. Is it as fast as the speed of light? A lot faster. And now you've got someone who had that freedom who had that ability to go anywhere, anytime, because he was everywhere, now to be confined, not in prison, but confined to space and time. When you go to heaven, you get to wear watches? Why not? Say it louder. There's no time. There's no time. Why not? It says in, in Revelation 22, there's no night. There's just day. No naps. Unless unless you want one. I, I, I look forward to taking a few naps. They okay. I mean, if, if. Here he is, God's spirit, God in eternity, God unbounded, and he takes on flesh. Now when the Bible talks about flesh, it talks about it in two different ways. Flesh and blood means you've you got human nature. You've got a body. you got a physical body. So Jesus had a physical body. Here's a question for you. Think about all of you. Does he have a body now? He's got a body. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. Who is it? Did he have a body when he rose from the dead? Do you know what he could do with that body? Do you remember when he showed up with the disciples? He didn't go through the door. I, explain that to me with a little physics. But he still had a body because, what did he say to them? So if we go to heaven, we see a man with a body and we can touch his hands. There's, there's, touch. there's something in heaven that didn't happen in the, with the pre-incarnate Christ. There's, some, there's a difference in heaven now. Jesus, the Son of God, slain from the foundation of the world, he's got a body. He didn't lose anything about being God. He was God when he was a baby. He didn't lose anything. It doesn't look like it. And that's the surprising thing for us. He doesn't look like God. Now, you know what we do when we have pictures, when we have movie pictures of Jesus? It's typical. He's the best of the, he's the best looking one of the bunch, right? <laughs> of all the of all the disciples, he's the best looking one. You know what the Bible says? What do you say? Say it loud. Here's how it says it. He had no beauty or majesty. He didn't look like a king. You couldn't say to him, well, 
He was going to be a king when he grows up. He didn't look that way. In fact, if anything, Jesus, the father for Jesus, picked the lower end because he picked the lower end in society. He was illegitimate, right? So look, <laughs> Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Bethlehem, although least among the tribe, didn't pick the king, the city of the great king, which is Jerusalem. They picked Bethlehem, picked Nazareth. He's at the lower end. And his looks, he had no desire or majesty to attract us to him. You couldn't, if you took 10 30-year-old men and put them in a line and said, okay, you picked the Son of God, could you have? If we went to Hollywood, we could, because we know what they'd pick. But you could not pick them out. You'd pick out one and you'd say, oh, that's surprising. That one's God. Because God was making a statement for you and for me, and that's why I want to get back to Jesus of Nazareth. This is incredible what Jesus said. Because Jesus was saying, when you touch them, you're touching. When you go after them, you're going after me. Why? Because they're my brothers. They're my sisters. I love the way my, my wife directs my attention to the persecuted church because I don't think about it as much as I should. Jesus thinks about it all the time. Those are his brothers, those are his sisters, and when they are persecuted, Don't you ever say to me, there's, not, there's no one who understands how I feel. I don't understand how you feel. We don't understand how you feel. But Jesus, why? Because he went deeper than you went. He went deeper into rejection. He went deeper into misunderstanding. Is, am I close enough to the mic? Is this picking me up or do I need to hold this with me here? He went farther into suffering than you ever went. I know some of you have gone farther than what I've gone, what Karen's gone. But you haven't gone as far as Jesus. No one has suffered like Jesus. No one was misunderstood. No one was mis rejected. No one was bullied like Jesus was bullied. As a teenager, I just, as I think about it, I think he must have cried himself to sleep. What would perfection do to bullies in Nazareth? And what would it do to a person who wouldn't fight back? What would it do to someone who's perfect and really is perfect? The Bible says he's a man of sorrows. That didn't start at age 30. That started at age 5 or age 4. He came unto his own, and his own rejected him. And he was, a, he was a reject from the beginning. Illegitimate birth. Now listen to what Hebrew says about this. If you want to get a hold of the incarnation, read the first five chapters of Hebrews and Colossians 1 and 2. And you, you, you've nailed it. And it's so important because people are leaving Christianity by the droves to find something in Mormonism that Jesus was a man and he became God. And good news, you can become God. Lady down the street was a youth director in a church. She found something in Mormonism. The early church struggled with this. No doctrine, 
was more, has, has more been contested. And you know why? Because it's contested in hell. And the primary test that we're given, we'll look at our notes in a minute, the primary test we're given is that Jesus is coming in the flesh. That's the primary test because the incarnation, you mess with that, you're going to mess up the cross. So let's just listen to this for a moment. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting. What an interesting word that the writer of Hebrews, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus didn't test out. But the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus, as he looks at you today, he's not ashamed to call you his brother. Not ashamed to call you his sister. He, he, he's really glad that you're in the family and he's happy. He, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers. My, oh, my. It gets even better. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Why did Jesus come in flesh and blood? Because you've got flesh and blood. And to start a new race, he had to be a part of the race. And so he entered into the race. That he might destroy him. This is why Satan hates the incarnation. Who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their life were held in slavery by their fear of death. For this reason, verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in what way? Every way. What does that mean for us? He's like us in every way. Such identification, such becoming a part of us in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. My dad was a pastor at a big church in Hawthorne, California. And to get to his office, I just walked across the grass and over our driveway that went to our garage, and I was there at the office. Other people knocked. I didn't knock. I just walked in. And when I walked in, there was something that, that happened on his face that didn't happen when others walked in. Jesus has access to his Father, immediate access and then what he says to you, come on in. Come on in. You, you adopted brothers and sisters. Come on in. I have immediate, personal, total access. You join me. That's the incarnation. Jesus became one of us so he could bring us to the Father so that we could have confidence. Can't we have confidence just with the Father? Well, apparently not. Apparently, we needed someone like us so that we could say, I know you understand. So Jesus says incredible promises like this. If you ask it in my name, the Father will give it to you. That's the result of him becoming one of us and joining our race so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest. How do we know? For we do not have a high priest, chapter 4, who was unable to Sympathos, sympathize with 
passion, with suffering. He can, he can suffer. He can feel what we feel. He can suffer what we suffer so that he can suffer with our weaknesses. Does God have those weaknesses, God the Father? No. Did God the Father die? No, God the Father did not die. God the Son died, Trinity. Jesus took it on upon himself as a man. But one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anybody get hit this last week and kind of got the wind knocked out of you and you lost some of your confidence? Anybody Anybody feel that? Where, where something happens to you and you lose some of your confidence. It can happen, can it? I just want to stop here. I want to stop momentarily. Because that happens to people of God. And we can begin to look inside and say, what's going on? Begin to feel it. What we need to do is draw on the confidence of a high priest who is now, what's he doing for us? What? He's praying. He ever liveth. What's he doing? Nonstop. He's been nonstop praying for 2,000 years. Who's he praying for? You? He's praying you'll be strong. Are his prayers effective? If you picture them as being effective, they're effective for you. You can build up an immunity to discouragement by, by meditating on the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God. God concarning. God with meat. God with flesh. God who has taken it upon himself and now stands as the man at the right hand of the Father, praying for our success, praying. That'll pull you out of depression. That'll pull you out of concentrating on yourself. Father, we come to you today boldly for one reason, one reason, Jesus, your son, our savior, our elder brother, who bought us, who rescued us, freed us from the, from the power and the curse of the first Adam race so that we could brought, be brought into a new race and walk in continual, ongoing, progressive confidence before you. And we know even now he's praying for us. He's praying for our success today. He's praying for our life in you. He's praying that we will not be discouraged that we'll not get the wind knocked out of us, but that we'll be successful your, the way you understand that. We thank you for our brother, our friend, and our Lord. And we, we pray it in his name, not in our name, not in any other name, but in the name that causes angels to bow and demons to shriek because they know their end. Let's just look at this sheet. I would just encourage you when... Uh, we get done today. We'll just look at a few more things. I'd encourage you to fold up, put it in your Bible, and just periodically, you know, once a month, read it. I've tried to put the, the, the main truths of the incarnation on one piece of paper so that uh, hopefully you can continually, periodically... Uh, Remember it, digest it, 
So I've, I've taken the divinity and humanity and put them in contrast to see the, the limits to which he went. And then just some scriptures. I'll, I'll read a few and uh, take about 10 more minutes and then we'll pray together. Jesus, the Son of Man, and then Jesus, the Son of God. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said he was manifested in the flesh. Now, when I say this to you, as you look at these scriptures, you're going to see how what, what a preponderance it is that shows the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. He suffered in his body, it said in 1 Peter 4.1. It says that he was reconciled, we are reconciled in his body of flesh. It's a focus on the flesh and blood body of the man, Jesus Christ. It wasn't some spiritual thing. And all kinds of heretics, they try to make this some spiritual thing. Jesus is the man, and Christ is the, is the divine spirit. It's not that way at all. The Nicene Creed fought, uh, this uh, council fought in Nicaea in the 4th century, and said, Jesus, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit, Virgin Mary, and was made man for us. So it made it very strong, very clear. Here's this test. It is the singular test that we have in Scripture. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Satan hates that phrase. If you can just keep Jesus a spirit, we're, we're okay. But once he takes on flesh, then he's going to start a new race. He's going to start a whole new creation of people who understand his ploy and defeat him. Looking down, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, though he was rich. How rich was he? Tell me how rich Jesus was. Hmm? The whole universe is him. The whole 17 trillion or whatever stars, they're all his. The gold in the hills is his. The, the diamonds in South Africa are his. Everything is his. He is so rich, rich beyond, beyond anything we can, we can possibly imagine or conceive. So Paul says, though he was rich, okay, so way, way beyond, yet for your, your sake became poor. How poor did he become? How's he supported? By some very kind, generous, rich women. Here, here is the God who owns it all, and now he's, he's, he's on social welfare by the welfare of kind women who support him. How, how poor did he get? That poor. He didn't have anything. He had what he wore, and that was taken from him, stripped from him, when he hung naked on the cross. That's how poor. So he, he was the richest, and he became the poorest. He was poorer than poverty-stricken people who were living on the streets in Minneapolis 
because they have a couple bucks. They've got a wallet. They've got a couple pair of clothes. No one was ever poor. Yet for your sakes, he became poor to the absolute, to having nothing. Did he have a reputation? No. No. He had a stinking reputation. He was on the low end of low. He was poverty-stricken. He was illegitimate. He was an itinerant preacher who shamed his family. They were embarrassed with him. And he ended up, one by one, people, people checking out of his life. Who was the final one? His father. Pulled back as his son is taking the curse as the sins of you, me, and Idi Amin and Joseph Stalin are dumped into his body. That would cause somebody to cry out. He becomes the trash dump of humanity at the cross. And he cries out, my God, my God. And he knew it was coming, but still knowing about that, knowing what that meant, he sweat drops of blood to consider it and wondered, is there another way? But I'm submissive. Not trying to get out of something, trying to understand and, and be open. Oh my, how rich do we have now? Now we own it. Now we own that. You may think you're poor. You don't think you have a lot. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 at the end of that chapter, he says, for everything is ours. The, the future, he, death is ours. He says death belongs to us now because it's defeated. The future is yours. You are Christ and Christ is God's. couple more scriptures. Though he were a son, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. There was, there was progression. There was growth. You guys growing at all? I mean, you, you, had to, you have to buy new clothes because you wore out the last one. You know that Jesus, he grew. He had flesh. So he, he had to get new sandals. <laughs> these, these got old. He had to get new stuff. He was in every way like us. He he progressed. He he grew. He had struggles. Struggles that he faced. Temptations. When you're tempted and think that you have a civil war going on inside, cry out to Jesus. He wasn't always tempted like we are. What a man. What a man. I listed here the heresies from the early church and then the present-day heresies, just to give you an idea of how important the incarnation is. I'm not going to read them now. Karen saw these notes and she says, you're not going to go over those, are you? (laughs) Just, if you would, I'd, I'd hope you read them just to see how all of them connect to the incarnation. When you start messing with the incarnation, you get screwy stuff. Liberalism. I have a close friend who's messing with doctrine right now. And it's beginning to get screwy. And it starts when you mess with the incarnation and then you, you, that goes over into the 
crucifixion, then you decide that everybody's going to heaven. Everybody can get there now. Because the door is open. It doesn't make any difference who you are or what you've done. Or it, it, my, oh, my. It's all. Listen to me, kids. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Don't just hear people talk about God. It's about Jesus, God's Son. teacher told uh, her Sunday school class to draw a picture of someone in the Bible. <coughs> and so they were working away and she walked by and she couldn't quite make out what this boy was doing. She said, what are you drawing? He said, what, without looking up, I'm drawing God. And uh, she didn't know what she should do or she should say anything. Finally, she felt free to say, I'm sorry, but we really don't know what God looks like. And he said, they will when I get done. (laughs) (laughs) Philip didn't know what God looked like. And so he said, show us the Father. I want to know. You, you, you talk about this father. I counted the number of times the word father is used in the uh, Gospel of John. It's something like 115 times. Almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them refer to the father of Jesus Christ. He didn't come to talk about God. He came to reveal his father. And when he got done, we knew what God looked like. He looks just like Jesus. And Jesus is a man. And we're going to pray now. We're going to pray to the Father. And Jesus says, if you want to pray like the apostles prayed, if if you want to pray like Jesus taught us to pray, you'll pray to the Father, but you'll pray through the work of Jesus, in his name, in his nature. That's how you get to the Father. Otherwise, you'd be burned. Jesus said to Moses, or, or um, sorry, the, God said to Moses, no one can see me and live. People say, I, I'm ready to meet my maker. Oh, don't say that. Don't. No, you're not, not even close. By one look and you'd be scorched. There's too much glory. But if you get the glory of Jesus, you become a brother of Jesus. You're in. So I'm going to pray, and then I want you to just spin around and take some moments, and I'll tell you what to pray for. I pray, Father, that you would stun us with the truth of the incarnation. I pray that it would uh, so convince us that you are for us, that you are with us, that you are in us, that we would leave the self-consciousness that so easily afflicts us. That says, I wonder if I'm doing it right. I'm wondering if I've got this right. And simply come to a good, kind, merciful, powerful Father made known through Jesus. 
No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Would, Jesus, that you would make the Father known to me, to us, the depths of his greatness and the width of his love so that we may well represent and represent him here in while we have our bodies while we live in the body thank you for the work of our beloved brother on our behalf to enable us to come to you and know that you are merciful that you love to cleanse us and you go beyond taking away sin but giving us the very righteousness of your son enabling us to walk in victory over sin, in fact, even blameless. And we do it not for our sake, but we do it for the sake of Jesus Christ. We pray for any friends who have been led astray, who have been sold goods that have tampered with the humanity and divinity of Jesus Christ. We pray for truth to bear down on their hearts and to rescue them from the lies that are demonic in nature so that they too can experience the riches that come out of one man's poverty. We, we praise you, Lord Jesus. We honor you. And we rejoice that one day you're coming back and you will come in a body and bring the mighty angels with you to defeat darkness and bring your reign on the earth. And that is what we look forward to. Now I want you to spin around groups of three, four, and... Uh, just take one of the one of the truths, one of the truths that uh, you heard or that you see. One of the one of the scriptures that that speaks to you as you you look at this sheet. Just uh, take a moment, whatever, to spin around two or three and pray together. Maybe a need, maybe something that you want to give thanks for, but however you choose to respond to that. Go ahead right now. Just spin spin around with a couple other people.